With the 27th pick in the 2016 NBA Draft, the Toronto Raptors select Pascal Siakam from Douala, Cameroon, and New Mexico State University. I'm a little surprised he went in the first round. I pegged him as a second rounder, but, but he's got ability. Pascal Siakam with a 32-point game. What a night for this young man. Siakam has done it all tonight for Toronto. Here from the world champion Toronto Raptors, give it up for Pascal Siakam. Siakam tonight with 52 at MSG. Um, just doing it for my dad, man. Doing it for my dad. Going out there every single night. Not worrying about, you know, whatever's going on. You know, just have a bigger purpose. Pascal, it's not just Toronto. It feels like you have an entire country behind you. What is it like to feel the love from this group? Uh, it's amazing, man. Best fans in the NBA. Um, you know, just at this moment, you know, we're going to continue to do what we do. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll get it done. Bad Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben NS, Brent Gunning. Man, that gave me all the feels. Undo the trade. They're take backs? Bring it back. Uh, no, I will not allow it. Sorry. <laughs> I also am emotional. I am a human as well. Fathers and sons in sports always hits me special, oh, doing yeah. it for his My dad. God. The Johnny Mac of it all, if you will. But uh, no, there are no take backs. And yeah. We'll lock it in. Yep. Uh... The, the Raptors getting three first-round picks from the Indiana Pacers uh, and also Bruce Brown and also some other guys who are not likely to factor in uh, for one of the franchise icons in the history of the Toronto Raptors, certainly a top-five player in the history of the franchise just, as yeah. Pascal Siakam waves goodbye. Just looking at it now, fifth all-time in games played, fifth in minutes played. I suppose those two should go uh, relatively hand-in-hand. Hand. Fifth in field goals made as a Raptor. Uh, quite, uh, you know, quite fitting there because I think for a lot of people, that's kind of where he sits. You know, we don't need to do the exact ranking or whatever because, you know, I think it's always it's always a little different in the immediate aftermath and given how awkward it was. But, yeah, a top it's five hard Raptor. hard to, like, where... Where's the, the, Vince the, well, and Chris Bosh. Yeah, the, and... the guys that were not around for a championship. Like, when you're, you're part of a championship team, like you were yeah. there and, like I keep saying, and mm-hmm. need people need reminding of that, yeah, obviously... They don't win the 2019 championship. They're not anywhere close without Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. But in the closeout game, yep. Pascal Siakam was tied to the team leading points with 26, and he was a super important piece of that puzzle and a contributing factor and a starting player on a team that won a championship. Yeah. And five years ago, like that's not ancient history. Um, an incredible player, an incredible success story. Maybe the the best in the history of the NBA as far as developmental. I mean, it's, it's hard when you're talking about second round picks and Jokic and you, you know, know what though, Grange Grange kind of brought that up. Uh, again, I was just watching like a lot of, a lot of central last night after, after the game and Grange brought up the Good company, man. That's yeah. Well, I do that. you know, doodly loop. Uh, I, I think of it and Grange brought this up and I hadn't thought of it this way, but it does feel very fitting that for that era of Raptors basketball, he was kind of the poster child of it. Like, again, like we're all going to close our eyes and Kawhi Leonard and, you know, the shot against the Sixers and Lefty Cram and, you know, Van Vliet bleeding from his eye and Oracle and Lowry to start things off. And that bucket that Pascal had to clinch it all and the fact that he had a game game high. But, you know, we, we kind of look at all these different Raptors and they have kind of different feels to them. And, 
you know, Pascal almost to a certain extent feels like he got kind of short shifted in that regard. You know, it all, there was always definitely a segment of the fan base making sure, give him his due, give him his due. But there was always something sexier, even when everything left and it was him and Scotty Barnes. It's like, hey, Scotty Barnes represents what's new and that's mm-hmm. the future. And even when he was the guy, it was, and you know, I don't, I'm not surprised by this. I know what he is as a player, but when he was the guy at, it still didn't feel like it was totally just about him. He's always kind of occupied a bit of an interesting spot in kind of Raptors Well, lore. you know what the problem was? He was a victim of his own success, right? Mm. This is a guy that was a two-time All-Star, uh, second-team All-NBA player, somebody, though, that thought he was even better than that and, and may one day prove to be, but a guy who took it upon himself to assert himself as a top-15 player mm-hmm. in the sport a guy that wanted to be a first team all nba player who wanted to be the best player on a contending team mm-hmm. not maybe the third best player on a championship team he wanted to be the best player on a team that you know had a couple more supporting pieces could win a championship he wanted to be the best player mm-hmm. and you have to have that self belief if you're a professional athlete and the Raptors obviously did not see him as that. And honestly, the proof is kind of in the pudding that he he didn't become that. This is mm-hmm. a team that with him as the lead dog won 41 games a season ago. And they were they were flawed, but it's nope. not like they were untalented a season ago. He just he is not that guy. Uh nope. I mean, prove me wrong. And he he won't be asked to be that guy in Indiana either, because they got Tyrese Halliburton mm-hmm. and they got a nice little core there around him. But that was that was the issue, is that, you know. He wanted to be that guy that was at, at the the forefront on the marquee for a team that was like, oh, man, you got your top end of the Eastern Conference or your top end of contenders, and the Raptors aren't far behind because Pascal Siakam is that guy. Mm-hmm. Great player. Two-time All-Star. Yep. Second-team All-NBA player, but he wasn't that guy. And, like, so few guys are. It's like, yeah, I get, like, 10 of them. Mm-hmm. And he, he's not a top 10 player in the NBA just outside of that. And he can help you win a championship, factually has helped a team win mm-hmm. a championship. But, and part of this is his own doing, Yep, setting the goal of being the best guy on a championship contender. When you don't quite reach those heights and there's mm-hmm. a level of frustration that you're not quite that guy, that's where I think the disconnect between the player and the fan base arise shouldn't have let him spend so much time with fred van vliet too much betting on himself maybe if he would have just uh you know been a good hockey guy no i'm joe i'm joking relax please god don't aggregate that the the thing i look at with that is that yeah you're right like we know what he is when he's the best player on it on a team the other part of it as well is you know i i kind of made the made the argument over the years and this has felt less true you know, over the last year, two years or so. But for a while, he was kind of the perfect guy to argue about in the NBA because, yeah, if you're a Raptors diehard or you watch every single Raptors game, you could sit there and make your case that he's the 17th or 15th best player in the NBA on any given night. You could have done that. But if you're a fan of, you know, 26 other teams or whatever, you could sit there saying, hold on, hold on, why is he not 25? Why is he not 32? Because, you know, there's, you know, mushy middle becomes such an ugly word, but it's like there's a big mushy pack of guys beyond the kind of true cream of the crop, you know, your five, 10 best players in the NBA. And for a while, Pascal was among that. And, you know, I, I got a little sidetracked earlier on. This is the point I wanted to make about him was the idea of, you know, the Raptors, when they're at their, when they were at their best, it was, yes, it was having some stars, some all-star level guys, DeRozan and Lowry, and then obviously the championship team took its its own kind of version of that. But the thing they did best was find these gems, and Siakam was the 
biggest gem of them all. I mean, Fred Van Vliet, you know, like you said, second round, undrafted, all of that. But Van Vliet didn't become what Siakam became. Like, for all we love about Fred Van Vliet, and it's like, you ask me whose Raptors tenure did I enjoy more. You ask me who I, you know, rode more for in arguments. It was Van Vliet, 9,000% over Siakam. But who's the better player between the two of them? It's not even close. It's Pascal Siakam. There's a reason that, you know, and again, we'll get to the idea of what we knew when we knew it, but there's a reason that they were willing to let Fred Van Vliet walk for nothing and they had to get something for Pascal Siakam and it's because there was something out there. Yeah, imagine being a franchise that would select a second-team All-NBA player, 27th in an NBA draft, uh, pick up a, a guy who got, what, like $40 million a year, undrafted uh, free agent of Fred Van Vliet, selected OG Ananobi, 23 third overall guy that's an all NBA defensive yep. team uh, stalwart and somebody that in trade can, can net you a couple of good young players. Yeah, it's, it's an, it was an incredible run of player development for the Toronto Raptors and they're, they're hoping it uh, once again gets back on the tracks. All right. To, to the point about the return and trade three first round picks again, you can very, I, I wouldn't even call it nitpicking the three first round picks coming back from the Pacers. They're getting two, in this draft that they've already told you explicitly they think sucks. So that's mm-hmm. great. That's neat. I mean, they are factually first-round picks, uh, and maybe they're sent out the door in another trade at the deadline, and maybe Bruce Brown is part of the the return they they, they get for Pascal Siakam because he's headed out the door at the deadline, whatever. It's an underwhelming return for a player who um, is an all-NBA-type player in, in Pascal Siakam. What could they have gotten for him at last year's deadline? What could they have gotten for OG Ananobi at last year's deadline? What could they have gotten for Fred Van Vliet at last year's deadline? Certainly more than the nothing they got when he departed for the Rockets. Gen- generally speaking, something greater than nothing. Usually. Not always. Not always. Not I've always. Got, uh, let me tell you, somebody's given me something and I've said, eh, I'd rather nothing. Yeah. Before. That has happened. <laughs> now I got to, oh, man, I want a car on the prices right now. I got to pay that tax. Ah, that tax. Someone gave me a gift that I just have to return for in-store <laughs> credit. Great. <laughs> Anyways, usually... Something better <laughs> than nothing. And maybe our in- incredible, intrepid Raptors reporters will get to the bottom of what exactly was on the table. Mm. Um, we heard some rumblings after Kyle Lowry was not traded at the deadline during the Tampa tank that like, oh, we all thought Tyrese Maxey was on the table. And man, how could you have let that go by mm. if that everybody says pump the brakes on that. That yeah. wasn't exactly what was on the table. It was probably something. Maybe it was better than Precious Achua um, and Goran Dragic. I tend to think so. Um, wouldn't sports be better mm. if executives were forced to, like, every conversation either have it recorded <laughs> or there would be, like, a central registry on, on of... blockchain? How uh, does it work? I don't... I don't listen, <laughs> this is a half-baked idea. I love these, by the way. Okay, but wouldn't it be better if we just had on the record what the trade propositions were between teams? And I understand there's personalities involved and like feelings that could be hurt. So I guess you'd have to have some sort of time release mm-hmm. of, of the information or maybe like once a player departs your organization, sure. then you're allowed to or you're forced to disclose the information. Mm. But wouldn't it be better if we could more accurately evaluate the tenures of front offices because we know what they could have done and what they actually did. And we can contrast and compare it. Like I know the front offices would hate this, but it's an entertainment product. Wouldn't that add to the entertainment value of the product? Yeah. I mean, no one, no one wants sports to become, you know, 
sorry, I know, product of ours, but no one wants, uh, I, I speak for myself, I don't want sports to become pro wrestling, okay? Like, yes, it's an entertainment product, mm. but I love it because it's I, real. I'm okay with it being You're closer okay, to there's a certain amount wrestling. Of it. Okay. Yeah. When you pitch this idea to me, and, like, obviously it must start with the caveat that this ain't never going to happen. So, like, this is just Ben's dream world I, that we're living in, okay? Are, we're 100% sure of that? Okay. I, I'm 100% sure. Right. It's way too good of a thing for, for <laughs> the society at large to just give it to me. Uh, so, not going to happen. But the way I think this actually works is, let's just say that, that, again, like, we're working with nebulous terms like percentages and things that are zero or one. But let's just say it's like when a deal gets to a, eh, there's a 70% chance this might happen. They In the NBA, we each pick a guy. It's like we can go Schefter. We could go Woj, mm-hmm. we could go Frege, mm-hmm. and then, I don't know, uh, I love BNS, and he didn't do us wrong on Otani. So let's say BNS <laughs> is the Pope in, in baseball there, okay? <laughs> that they have to get given the information, and then each sport should, in my opinion, pick the deadest day of their sports calendar that year. And it's like it's like when JFK, the 60th anniversary happened, it's like, all right, CFA, CIA, uh, CIA is going to release some more files here, mm-hmm. and you're going to have some more information. It's like... Every year, we should get the three-year, five-year, whatever it is, moratorium of all the trades that should have happened. So it's, all right, it's December 1st, a dead day in the NBA. I've just picked that for whatever reason. I'm sure they could pick a better one. Here it is. The Woj files come out, and he just gives you a rundown of everything three years ago that was in, in... in discussion or a possibility, yeah. it would be amazing. Never well, going to happen, but I, that's the way I'd love to I see I mean, it. there's so many problems. I understand the problems. I mean, the least of which, or maybe, you know, maybe the most important to deal with is that, like, these trade discussions are not formal, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. no, it's not like when you're playing a video game, it's like, here's my trade right. proposal, and it's like you have to submit it, right. and here are the actual names, and here's the trade, and maybe do you it should accept? be, though. Maybe do, it should be. Do, well... You have to hit accept. Like, we can work around it, okay? Yeah, maybe we can make it a formal process, or maybe it's as simple as every time you meet with another GM uh, to discuss a trade, it has to be recorded, okay? We need a stenographer. We need somebody in the room. It's like like if you get pulled over, uh, and it's like, oh, hi, I'm Adrian Wojnarowski. This is my body cam. I'll just be recording this conversation between you and another NBA official X. Again, this will be only used uh, if it's beneficial to us and not to you, but uh, here we go. Uh, okay, God, I get it's it. It's never going to happen, but, but I need... You, okay, we had draft... Wouldn't it make it better? Okay, we had draft day as a movie, right? Yeah. Where, uh, spo- spoiler alert, I had it spoiled for me, so everybody else out there, it's like uh, no one came to the kid's birthday, okay? Mm-hmm. It's like, that was a pretty dumb twist on a movie. Why can't we just have the fan fiction world of this in some sport where GM Costner... It's like, ah, oh, man, I don't imagine it. They're like having a skulky conversation in a parking garage somewhere. And it's like, we can't say any more about this. or We got to go mm-hmm. to official channels. Like I actually now just need a sports movie that operates in this fan fiction and that you've would, cooked up for me. And would executives try to you know, work around the official channels? <laughs> of course. We make the punishment $10 million if you're well, talking what, trade yeah, well, whatever. Like the NBA has done this before. It's like whatever <laughs> happened with Joe Smith a thousand years ago and they're just... Uh, we're basically giving you the SMU death penalty. Yeah. We're taking all your picks. You're paying fines uh, out the wazoo forever. Oh, and I feel like going to get... I, I don't care. Good. Like We're not talking about, like, this is not the nuclear launch codes. Yeah. It's sports, okay? Wholeheartedly. Okay. Agree. People's feelings... Like, who cares? Like, I think it would be 
great. Endlessly entertaining. That would be amazing. The discourse around, hey, comparing what the Raptors could have gotten at last year's deadline to what they actually got this year, and, you know, the, the it not happening in the moment and, like, yeah. us getting another opportunity to relitigate this and us having a better for understanding sure. of exactly the evaluation that should be taking place for Masai Ujiri and mm. Bobby Webster over the last couple of years. It would just, it would be magnificent. Now, sometimes this does happen, right? Like if, in fact, the return for Pascal Siakam is not that uh, dissimilar from the package they could have gotten for him at last year's deadline. Here's my guess. Then I find that out. The, yeah, through intermediary channels, we're going to learn that, that that is the case. But, yeah, I want it just more officialized. I mean, it, it, I, I know there's obviously pr- there's problems with yeah, it, but tell, me, but tell me why it can't work. Because people's feelings. Sensitive. Forget people's feelings, I whatever. Mean, yeah, I'm preaching the choir, bud. <sighs> Anyways, all right. Uh, <sighs> I love that. I love it. <laughs> there's, is there another Leafs topic I can do here? Okay. Or, or do you want to do Cowboys here? Uh, I mean, you know what? This is going to be off-brand for me. We're not going to do it anywhere else, so do Cowboys. All right. Uh, How about them? You, you, But, yeah, I'm bringing it up, but you also understand there's a Leaf tie-in here, yeah, right? So it's also yeah, the I know, Leafs. I know. <laughs> Shocker. All roads lead back to Valhalla for me. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys, after a 12-win season, but after getting punished at home that was bad. by the Green Bay Packers, Bringing back Mike McCarthy, why not? Uh, they're going to run it back. The the only team in NFL history to go three straight seasons with twelve or more wins and not make a conference championship. But besides the point, mm-hmm. uh, they're pretty good during the regular season. There's an intriguing crop of available head coaches. Yeah, perhaps a few guys out there. Perhaps a, a crop of available head coaches that we will never again see. In any offseason in NFL history. It's but, like the 96 NBA draft, but for NFL coaches. But 81-year-old Jarrah Jones is is sticking with the guy he hired who, in his time off after being fired from the Packers himself, said he w- poured over every play of that, that season. And then, you know, in a subsequent interview, it was like, yeah, it was not every play. I mean, I may have maybe told Jerry Jones, like, every play. Not like, I watched some football. Anyways. <laughs> Mike McCarthy is coming back, Brent, and yeah. at least it's not just the local hockey team that has decided, you know what, some bad luck in some one-off mm. one-off games. Uh, we've been successful during the regular season, and eventually our yeah. fortunes will turn if we just keep doing the same thing. I can't believe they're, they're bringing him back. I could not believe the screed that Jerry Jones put out to say he was – he was coming back. I guess the difference in football as opposed to hockey, and we've done this in hockey where it's, hey, you got Dean Chanelth running the PK now. Surely it will all be different. Coordinators do have a massive impact on kind of changing things, so I can understand it to a slightly sim- more extent there. But, I mean, what are you doing bringing, bringing this guy back? The best theory I've heard on this that I do kind of believe and that I don't believe has happened here, but I think is very much in play at times, is that I think Mike McCarthy is a meat shield for Jerry Jones. It's so, it, this is the theory that people had about Matt Canada with Mike mm-hmm. Tomlin of, well, keep the terrible offensive coordinator around so people yell at him and not you. It's like keep the terrible head coach around instead of you, Jerry Jones. Now, I don't know how much I buy that because I think Jerry Jones just 
wants to win. Like how many, you know, I'm not, I'm not pouring dirt on the guy, but he's in his 80s. Yeah, man. he wants like, to win. Yeah. How could you care about anything other than what's going to give me an opportunity well, to win a Super Bowl this year? Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm not Jerry Jones, and I care a lot about how I'm perceived in the world, so I can only imagine yeah. how somebody like him could view things through that I think prism. The die is kind of cast for Jerry Jones, and he's there oh. for some championships. Like, yeah, no, but I also think that if if McCarthy goes and it's a new head coach in there, it's like, yeah, people will point the finger at Dak and some of that will be on Dak, but it'll be seen as a failure of the organization and who's at the helm of it. I yeah. mean, I think the, the no, conversation right now, is pretty similar. If, if yeah, I think right have... now people are just mad at Mike McCarthy and they're mad at Jones, but guess what? It's going to be kickoff in week one and their mm. Cowboys are going to be one and two through three weeks next year. And guess what? Nobody's going to be mad at Jerry Jones. You're going to be mad at Mike McCarthy. Then maybe maybe the second step of that will be getting mad at Jura, mm-hmm. but I think most people will kind of stop at McCarthy because his face is on TV so much during those games and go, "What is this guy doing here?" I hate yeah. him. I I just I think I'd be way less patient if I was eighty one years Agreed. old. And he wasn't eighty one years old when he kept Jason Garrett around every single the clapper every single offseason. We had the exact same conversation. This is his move. That's what he does. This is his move. So we shouldn't be surprised, but it's not the way I would operate if I owned a professional sports team in 81. I'd be like, I'd be way closer to David Tepper. Like I'd under, (laughs) honestly, if Jerry Jones was doing the David Tepper thing, I'd be like, I get it. Yeah. Guys looking at the clock is like, how many more years do I have? Yeah. Wholeheartedly agree. That's the way I would go about it as well. And I, so did I work my way around to commending Jerry Jones for his, Tepid? No, I'd take that back. I absolutely do not. Go out there, be an angry squashbuckling, squashbuckling owner. That's what I want to see you do. Mm-hmm. Go do it. The other part is, is that look at the coaches that are available. Belichick, Vrabel, mm-hmm. Harbaugh. You yeah. know, these are all things we like in football coaches, right. but strong, opinionated men who become the, the face of whatever <laughs> franchise it is that they're going to run. The Vrabel thing, you can see a world where it's like a a brilliant young leader and he's going to be there forever but it's like the idea of Jerry Jones just saying okay you're the Cowboys now to no. Harbaugh or Belichick the more I've thought about it Belichick maybe but the Harbaugh thing is like impossible to foresee there no Jerry Jones needs to be the face of the Cowboys mm-hmm. and and those guys are too big honestly and Mike yeah. McCarthy's a Super Bowl winner no. so like he had some name recognition it's per- but it's actually the perfect guy that it's like he yeah. has cachet of winning but, but no also he's like he yes won. please hire yeah. me like, I, like yeah it wasn't like People are falling over themselves to hire yeah. Mike McCarthy after all the 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 post facto s- reports about him and Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, Rich. right? Oh. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't think other guy either guy has been covered in glory no. uh, since that scoreboard uh, zero zero. But you will you will notice that all the most successful owners in pro sports are able to put their egos aside, which mm-hmm. is difficult to do, right? Like when you become a billionaire and you think you mm-hmm. know the word world has done nothing but tell you you're you're the best, you're amazing, you're the reason is that why what all your billionaire always, friends tell you. I assume, yeah, yeah, yeah. All my billionaire friends. I don't have billionaire friends. Just that, I've had. I have some friends that are in the one percent of the one percent. Okay. Yeah. Good for you. No, but they're they're able to put their ego aside. Um, but yeah, <laughs> the best owners in pro sports can do that. They can say, you know what? I, 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 I know part of the reason I own a pro sports team is to, God. to, to build up myself and to become this, this the bigger than life figure that I could never do in the world of business. But I also want to win and Bill Belichick is my best opportunity to win. And he'll be the face of this franchise, I know, and I'll have to take a step back. And maybe he'll only come here if I agree to stop doing media availabilities. Yeah. And that's going to suck for me. Mm. But I got to do it because I just want to win. 
Yeah, you get to do all the avails you want after you win, but might be hard in the interim there. Mm-hmm. All right. That's uh, fun. Cowboys are the Leafs, though. It's just, uh, yeah, not just, just the Leafs. Problem. Well, but just, you know, if anyone on earth remembered them winning. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. 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 94 is not the same no, the as 1967. The, I said it before. I said it again. The Leafs are the Knicks, man. Like mm. spiritual cousins right mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Leafs and Knicks. That's we don't why. want to talk about the Knicks ownership. No, we don't. Uh, yeah. It's like there is there is not anybody else dancing in my head when you were like, the best owners know how to stay aside and not make it about themselves. Mm. Coming up, JD in the street shots. Yeah. Yeah. yeah maybe not. No, certainly not. All right. Uh, Maple Leafs in Alberta yet again against a red-hot Flames team. Sheldon Keefe on the hot seat. We'll talk to our Leafs historian, Damian Cox, next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. easier for the Leafs tonight as they try to uh, stop a season-long four-game losing streak. They haven't lost five straight this season. Perhaps that comes tonight. Let's talk to Damian Cox, our Leafs historian and Toronto Star contributor. How's it going, Damo? Boys, how's everything this morning? I'm Reed calling you from uh, Sudbury, Ontario, home of the late Jim Pappert. Well, he lived. He came from Mazilda, I think, just mm. outside of Sudbury, so I know you'd like me to bring a little Leaf history. That's good. Uh, to, to the, uh, to, and now here's another one. Mm. Give me an example of a Leaf who did something si- very similar, not exactly, but similar to what Cody Hodgson's trying to do by coming back at age 33 with the Nashville Predators after being away for seven seasons. Is that right? Yeah. So Hodgson and, signed. Anybody come at, to mind? Uh, Hodgson signed a PTO in the AHL. That's right. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Brent, anybody coming to mind here? Uh, on, Peter boys. Holland. That's the most recent vintage. Not with the Leafs. He did it with the Avs trying to make a comeback. Yeah. I don't think it had been that long, though. Now that he's is selling the, Bitcoin, I think. No, I think he was yeah. doing that. Tried hockey. Might be back to Bitcoin. I, I've not kept tabs on it. That was the guy that jumps out to my mind, but I feel like you have a better answer you wish I had well, come to. As always, you guys are just too damn young <laughs> to remember. Because when it happened, it was a hell of a story. Back in the, the uh, 79-80 season, who yeah. came back? Carl Brewer. Mm. He'd, been out of, he'd been out of pro hockey since uh, being with the Toros, I think, six seasons earlier. Um, and he played a full season uh, in 73-74. Came back with the Leafs, played a couple of games with New Brunswick, and then played for 20 games for the Leafs. And I can tell you, was a complete and utter disaster. So <laughs> these things are hard to do. Anyways, there's your leaf history for the day, and I'll I'll leave you with that. See you guys. Yeah, well, you can do that, but yeah, I mean, you really have leaned into this Leafs historian thing. Like, I feel like since you've been branded that, you've actually like become more that. Like, I don't. It was at first like in jest a little bit, but now you're actually that. No, I, I actually got branded. I've got it on on my leg now. I got leaf on my leg, branded. Well, uh, no better place to be than in Sudbury, Ontario, Just, on uh, Ju- uh, January eighteenth. Quickly for the record, uh, five <laughs> points in twenty games and a dash five in that comeback season mm. uh, with the Leafs. Just yeah, for the record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not as uh, heartwarming a story as Terry Ryan getting in a fight at uh, forty-seven no. years old. Yeah, uh, isn't that lovely? That's yeah. good stuff. <laughs> I knew that would warm your heart, Damo. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, all right, let's talk about the Leafs in crisis. Would it, would it make you happy is like if he went out in the street and got in a fight? Would that be like? No, a, I, but yeah, I, I think he might have been just as happy, quite honestly, knowing the you little know. I do about him. Yeah, no, he's a he's a great character. I'm not here to to slag okay. old Terry. Yeah, good. Uh, all right, let's talk about Leafs in crisis. Who I I, I do. I mean, we we say that in jest uh, on occasion around this team. It does feel like there's a lot of pressure building, especially for the head coach, and lots of people uh, in hockey media have, have have come strong to the microphone and and saying that he is the problem. He's gots to go. Um, does it feel like firing season in Leafland? Well, I would, um, but is he the problem? No, he's not the problem. He is part of the problem, um, and I and I always. Um, I always hesitate to say, and, and it tends to be the way things go in Toronto, it's about one guy. Last year it was all about Justin Hall, right? Oh, that guy, he's killing him. He's every night. And, you know, this, there'll be a player this year um, that, that, you know, people are unhappy with. Um, but I, I think, look, this is, this is not a disaster unless they can't come out of it. Um, you know, Edmonton came out of their early season tailspin. Mind you, they're just barely getting into a wild card spot now, despite winning all those games. But, you know, so it's about coming out of it. And, you know, what's the best way to come out of it? And as much as you might, and you hear it all the time, and I find it so boring, you know, well, keep the coach and get rid of all the players. Well, you can't do that. And the reality of the NHL, particularly in 2023 with 32 teams, is you can't afford to make a big player mistake. You can't afford to fire the wrong coach because then you go and get another coach. There's always an endless supply of coaches, and it's just a matter of finding the right one. And if you look at Sheldon Keith, is he a good coach? Probably, but we don't really know. He's only ever coached in Toronto. Um, he's not had he's had very limited playoff success. He's had lots of regular season success. They're not having regular season success. There's some guys out there who could help them. I would make a move. Yeah, so I, you know, that's that's a pretty uh, common sentiment that's out there. The thing I've been kind of questioning. Well, I, like to, I like to be common. You know <laughs> <what I mean? laughs> it's well, not a very unique position, Damien. Well, the the question, you know, unlike what I'm about to bandy about here, the the question I I've been coming to with this is, you know, when the Leafs made their last big sea change, it was this summer when they went from Kyle Dubas to Brad Treliving, and because of the way that that played out, I'm not saying that they couldn't have had an exhaustive GM search that would have landed on Brad Treliving, but that isn't what happened they had to find a guy they had to hire him relatively quickly and they ended up with brad for living if they make a coaching change and they don't opt for you know just to name a name guy boucher interim head coach for the rest of the season and they say no we're going to go out and we're going to hire craig berube because he's done this before are they not doing the exact same thing with the coaching search where they take the best of who is available to them because of when they're doing the hiring in season like i am not i have come around to the idea of making a coaching change on this team but I'm still not all the way there yet to, and, you know, I'm not saying that you're there, but the idea of, well, go hire Barube because I don't know that Barube's the guy they would land on if they had some long, played-out, exhaustive coaching search. W- what do you make of the idea of an interim guy versus deciding who their guy will be? Because, obviously, if they go outside of the org, it feels like it wouldn't just be an interim tag for somebody like Barube. He'd want a little term and a, a little security. Well, I mean, first of all, the Leafs can do whatever they want. They've got more money than anybody. Right. And, you know, like, I, I do laugh when people say, well, 
Sheldon, they're not going to fire Sheldon Keith. He just signed an extension for one year. Well, just, they just gave William Nylander ninety-two million dollars. <laughs> I think they can handle whatever is left on Sheldon Keith's um, uh, uh, contract. Look, I think you're always choosing from the best available. You're always choosing from because it's not like at the end of the season, all teams, thirty-two coaches teams fire their coach and you then you get to pick the best one so you're always choosing from who's available whether you give them the interim tag or whether you hire them yeah that's a consideration and i'm sure for brendan shanahan and now brad for living they don't want to go to the board and say yeah we hired this guy for the last 40 games of the year he's crap we gave him a five-year contract sorry about that um but you know i think the leafs can absorb the financial impact of whoever they try to hire if they decide that that's uh, you know I, I watching Lou Lamorello for years hiring fire coaches and who you know not a lot of guys have had more success about it and the reality guys mm-hmm. and it may not be a nice reality is there's this, the supply of coaches will always until they expand to 68 teams will always that's ex- coming be by much the way. greater yeah that's just around the corner there's a plan um, there's be a team in Sudbury. Um, the, uh, um, so it'd be a home game for me today. The, um, you know, it will always exhaust those guys out there. Now, whether they'll be better or worse guys will be in one place and have, who knew Chris Knobloch was such a great, great coach until he just won 11 game, right? It's a bit of a thing, but you got to do things to come out of the tailspin. Sheldon Keith has had his chance. This is not about blaming Sheldon Keith. This is about looking for answers for a team that's not winning hockey games. Yeah, so that would be the reason, right? Like, it's, it's. I mean, he's going to have the same roster. There will be a move or two made, you would think, before the deadline. But this is, the, the core of this roster is going to be the core of this roster going forward and into yeah. the postseason. Is there, there reason to believe that whoever the new guy is will have more success considering the roster outside of the, the, the dead cat bounce thing or the thing that we've seen multiple times and even very recently with the Chris Knobloch's of the world that, uh, yeah, you make a coaching change, you get an immediate bump. Is there any reason, like, is that the primary reason? Is there any reason beyond that to, to believe that there's a, the, a coaching change would be necessary for this team? Other than being shocked at your reference towards cats and, and, and their mortality, I don't even understand that question. What do you mean? Like, is there... Is that the number on? one reason? Like, is there... Like, are you going to look at strategy and say, like, something's not being deployed correctly here? Like, oh, I mean... Oh, I see. I yeah, got gotcha. you. Like, is, is no, that... I, it it kind of feels like the goaltending conversation where it's like, yeah, like, some guys are better than others, and, you know, you should go out and get another guy, but, like, why exactly? I'm not 100% sure. Like, what does a head coach do? Okay, he, he puts the lines together, but ultimately it's not the NFL... Like, they don't have that much direct impact on on the play on the ice. We're just talking about something that's, like, unquantifiable, that for whatever reason, teams have more success sometimes when they have a coaching change. Right, and then I think usually because the coach that you bring in is uh, different to the one you just got rid of, right? So Jacques Martin was experienced, super experienced, and that's not working in Ottawa. So, right? so, so Chris Knobloch was a different voice, I, I think, I think that what you'd be looking for in Toronto would be someone who would take a different attitude towards defensive hockey. And they turn the, try to turn the Leafs from being less of an entertaining, freewheeling team uh, on, the, on the attack and more of a team that took care of business uh, defensively uh, when it needs to. Look, I mean, the primary problem, guys, in the past week to this slide is that they can't protect the lead. Right. Why can't they protect the lead? Is that... Well, I think part of it is personnel. Uh, you know, I, I just think 
every time I see TJ Brody out there looking like he's spinning around like a top and looking like he's going to protect the lead, it doesn't really inspire confidence right now anyways. Um, and I think part of it is, you know, the, 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 the fact that uh, the McLeod can walk out from behind the net and put the puck in the top corner, there's six or there's a bunch of guys to blame on that. And it's not just the defense and it's not just the goaltender. So positionally, um, and with stra- strategically, there are things they could definitely do different defensively. Whether this group could apply those then becomes the question. But, you know, uh, I think Craig Berube has, a, um, you know, to pick one guy, um, you know, certainly has, well, he's got a reputation of recently winning a Stanley Cup. Therefore, you know, it's a re- case of success in the NHL in the recent past. And he's a hard-nosed guy. I think the fascinating question, I have to say, just to change this conversation a little bit is can any team hire Joel Quenville? Because Joel Quenville is the best coach out there, the most successful coach out there. But is it palatable for any NHL team to bring him in if they decide that's the case? What do you guys think? You know, it's funny because that's the that's the name I kind of bandied about last summer when we were having these conversations. And you know, yep. don't don't quote me on this, but I I'm I'm unsure. And you asked the question as well. I'm not sure if he needs to be reinstated by the league. And if that's the case, right. I've always kind of wondered that why would why would the NHL willingly do that before the Leafs have a head coach with a long-term commitment? Like, I understand that's not very fair to the Leafs, but we also know how important PR battles are to leagues at large, and I wouldn't put them past saying, yes, Joel Quenville, you could be a coach in, you know, quiet market X, but Toronto, maybe not. Like, I I could very well see that happening. I do think if you're going to make a change, it has to be somebody with that level of pedigree. And I don't know, maybe Barube and his one having done it really recently in a similar situation is enough but that is the guy I've long long wondered about because I think it has to be somebody with some cachet it can't just be I've coached in this league before you know no offense to Paul Maurice but I don't know that he'd be the right guy for this team as much success as he's had because I think you got to be able to walk in and you know it's a cliche I know but slam some rings on the table because I think that's what it would take to make this group and you know, I lump everybody in with that, realize that there is a different level that needs to be met. And it's not that they're incapable of getting to it, but it feels like they've been so incapable to a certain extent of kind of maintaining that level throughout, whether it be a season or, or a deep playoff run. Yeah, look, if, if, I'm, if I'm Shanahan and Trey Living and I'm considering a change, and look, guys, I'm sure they, they're considering it. Right now, they're discarding it as, a, as an alternative. I'm sure they've considered it. Mm-hmm. Um, that the name Quenville is going to come up. Now, if you're going to allow Mike Babcock to come back in the league, I'm not sure I understand why you would not be able to allow Joe Quenville, unless there's something out there that we just don't know about. He's not been charged with a crime. No. He's not been sued. He's not been... In fact, we don't really know a lot of the details of exactly you know, why he was pushed out of the league. But the reality is he's been out for two seasons. Mm-hmm. And in the NHL, that is, well, first of all, in pro hockey, two seasons, unless you're Cody Hodgson or Carl, Carl Brewer, is a lifetime. It's a long or time. Peter Holland. Uh, yeah, or Peter Holland. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, that's, that's a long time. I think there's the, the bigger question might be, like, I, I find it hard to believe, like I said, unless there's something that I don't know and we don't know that Gary Bettman's going to say, no, you can't come back and coach in the NHL. 
Um, I, I, I suppose unless he were to meet with Joe Quenville and Quenville would say, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't know why you didn't let me coach for now. Then you might have an issue. Mm-hmm. I think the other part, I mean, Joel's 65. You know, he's had a lot of success in the league. He's had challenges, personal challenges as well. Everybody who I know who knows him says he's happy doing what he's doing. He loves the horses. I, I believe he's living in Florida. Does he want to leave Florida and the, and the tax status down there to come and coach in Toronto and da 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 da? Mm. I think that's a good. But I, I think, look, I don't think it's unreasonable to consider him and talk about Joel Quenville because he's going to, well, that's a good question. Is he going to go into the Hall of Fame after everything? Mm. I find these stories a bit frustrating because all of us are sitting here going, what did he do exactly? It's like with Corey yeah. Perry. Should a team hire Corey Perry? Well, what did he do exactly? And the NHL makes it its business not to let us know. No, and, and the Corey Perry thing is a little more nebulous. I think we know what happened in Chicago, and I, I think the, the 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 Quenville of it all is that he was he did not intercede, right? Like that he allowed right. that to happen right. and and took a, a hockey priority as opposed to a, a human priority. Well, um, I, I I don't know. I well allowed it to he certainly did he didn't not intercede take, he did not jump in as a, in a position of responsibility to when he learned that there might be issues so i, I that's my understanding mm-hmm. of it um but i don't i, I again do you, do you really know all the details no nope. because i don't no, no I, don't. I don't i'm right there with you i think the i think the problem and whether this is a pr one a legal one whatever is that Chicago has just become shorthand in like that situation has become so toxic. We talked about it with Corey Perry that Mm -hmm. again, you want to talk about things we don't know this. I'm not the first person to bandy this out that if that was any other organization in the NHL, maybe it plays out in a different manner because that organization rightfully so has to walk such a tight line given everything that happened there. So I just think it's that that situation became so public that anybody attached to that and, you know, fairly or unfairly, I think it's just become such a a lightning rod. The the other thing is the corporate ownership of the Toronto Maple Leafs and MLSE and the two telecoms that are involved here. Like we've, we've seen it play out where, I mean, it's just wrong that owns the Blue Jays, but like any any view of like impropriety, like anybody that's like maybe on moral uh, uneven terrain is is quick to be cast Anthony aside, Bass, right? right? Like that that I I wonder if this organization in particular could could weather that PR storm. Oh, I think they could weather whatever they want. And TSN and Rogers have both had their fair share of personnel issues play out in the public arena, and have been able to deal with it nicely. They have lots of people who are very well paid to deal with that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, like the Chicago thing, I th- I agree with you. I mean, there's another legal case going on right now, still dealing with those things from back there. There have been people who looked at some of the players back there. Should they have interceded? Well, Patrick Kane just got another job, the Detroit Red Wings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, unless you've got evidence to say, no, no, this was Joel. Joel Quenville walked in the room, saw what was going on, and said, oh, I don't care. I've got to win a Stanley Cup and walked out. It's a lot of murky stuff. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve Mm -hmm. responsibility. Um, And he's been out for two years. Mm -hmm. And so he has shoulder scissors, as has, um, you know, Stan Bowman. Well, he gets back in the league and and other people. I don't have all the answers, but certainly he's a guy that you would consider if you're going to make a change. And, I mean, I think the impact that he would have um, uh, on on the situation, people forget. You know, um, with Florida, he did a pretty darn good job. Yeah, you know, they were seven and zero when he left. Um, he's a great coach now and has a tremendous record in the league. He's a former league player. He's a former league coach, assistant coach, minor league coach, 
you know, I think his pedigree is there. There will be people who say you cannot hire him, and I and I wouldn't say to them you're wrong. But it's got to be a name that we should talk about. You're right. No, you're absolutely right. And and whether he actually physically needs to be reinstated by the league or not, like certainly uh, would go a long way towards his um, his re-entry into the field or the, the potential field of, of available head coaches if he met with Gary Bettman like Corey Perry did because Corey Perry was not banned from from returning to action but met with, uh, with Gary Bettman and then all of a sudden the conversations swirled around him as far as his uh, potential next destination. It's, a, it's an interesting name and boy... That would be a story, Damo. That would that would be that'd be right up there with Peter Holland, Carl Brewer, or <laughs> who was the other one we were talking? Oh, yeah, and Jim Pappen, yeah, know, Zilda, Ontario. There yeah. you go. All right, uh, Damien. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Nice talking to you guys. Stay warm. Yeah. Well, you too. You're in Sudbury. Yeah, you're in Sudbury. Yeah. You stay warm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's David Cox, Leafs historian, Toronto Star contributor. It's like Luke getting lippy with us about the weather. Oh, I'm in Edmonton. He wouldn't dare. Mm. Was Damo thinking? Yeah. So that's an yeah. Of course. Like you want to talk about pedigree? It's the ultimate name. Sure. I I don't know how to walk that terrain necessarily. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm, I actually do think he needs to be reinstated by the league if he's to is, be hired. That is my understanding. Don't take that as gospel, but that is what I have understood about this process at all. And that's why I go back to the league will never come out and say, "Oh yeah, he could be reinstated once there's no chance in hell he ends up a Leaf coach." But if you're like. It's unfair. Yeah. It's unjust. Shanny and everyone should scream from the rooftops if they want to hire that guy. But just from a PR league perspective, why would you do that? Well, yeah. Why, why would you allow him? No, here? you need. Yeah. Because you know what's working? Like just out of sight, out of mind. Yes. Like Those guys not like it would take Joel Quenville making a stink. Some other organization wants to hire him making uh-huh. a stink. The league's not just going to do it because, oh, it feels like enough time has passed. Like, oh, you know what? We're enjoying we should, you know what we should do conversation. We should bring that story back. Yeah, up. no, yeah, no, they're, they're quite enjoying. Uh, Although the, I will, I will say also, right you know, different, different scenario as well. But Bill Peters, like, he went away for a while, went to the K. He's back coaching the WHL now. So, like, man, it's uh, a wild, windy stuff. road. All right. Uh, time now for the Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet. Local, Sheldon Keefe's, for now, Maple Leafs in Calgary tonight to play the Flames, trying to avoid a fifth consecutive <laughs> loss. The Flames have won four consecutive, and I uh, hope you enjoyed your one game of Leafs being underdogs. They are favored on the road in Calgary, oh, despite facing a red-hot Flames team, minus 125 for the Leafs, uh, Flames plus 105, total six and a half. Uh, absolutely love you, Leaf Station, that the Leafs are favored in this game. Uh, give me Flames, plus money. Uh, you know, Leafs are due. They'll break through at some point in time, but uh, plus money for a Flames team that can't lose right now and the Leafs can't seem to win, I'll take the Flames. Thank you, thank you. I'll take under six and a half at uh, even odds at plus 100. The the Flames in three of those four games, the, the last three wins have limited opponents to two or one or zero goals in all of those things. And the Leafs are obviously going to try and tamp things down uh, defensively, considering all the blown leads recently. I, I like the under in that hockey game. All right, Raptors back to back against yet another former franchise great and Demar Derozan and the Chicago Bulls tonight, and it's the Raptors underdogs. Bulls minus two and a half in Toronto. The total two twenty four and a half. Good vibes continue. I know it's a back to back, but. No travel. We've heard this before. What, what's to worry about a back-to-back uh, Bulls? They're no good. Uh, so give me the Raps plus 115 on the money line. 
I like that as well. Thank Raptors you. go on a roll. The, the the vibes, hey, this is not an addition by subtraction thing. Not that like Pascal Siakam was was an anchor on this Mm-mm. team, but I think there is a weight lifted not having to deal with that conversation. Big time. Uh, I, I like the Raptors uh, as home underdogs. That was the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. When we come back, Nick Kiprios, Real Kipper and Born as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.